0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to this Labor Day weekend edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford he is Wes Hodkiewicz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, since they did the roster cuts on a Tuesday, we figured, why not? We'll post a Packers Unscripted on a Saturday. Let's just keep changing things up, right? (laughs) Nothing nothing about this week is normal, so why even try to pretend, right? (laughs) Yeah, don't don't fight it. Just roll (laughs) with it, right? Just roll with it. So, well, hey, I want to start today's discussion, though, talking about the Packers wide receiver group. You have a story that, uh, posted on our website packers.com talking about this group collectively now we know who the number one is Devonte adams we talked on our last show about the number six malik taylor and him securing that last roster spot at the position the real intrigue with this position group is those four guys in the middle obviously talking about marcos valdez scanling alan lazard randall cobb and amari rogers It's a very interesting collection and the type of collection of receivers in terms of the the varied skill sets and experience levels and all of that, the type of collection the Packers haven't really had around here for quite a while.
1: A long time. And, you know, I go back to 2015. I remember Mike McCarthy and and his staff were kind of catching some flack because it was a lot of the same 11 personnel. Now, I think a big thing about that is that was pretty definitive who their top three receivers are who their tight end was and ultimately who their running back was
0: just to clarify 11 personnel is one running yes. back, one tight end and three wide receivers. That's what you're talking.
1: Yeah. About. And in, you know, it wasn't so much for a lack of creativity. It's just that, that those are kind of the options, right? What I like about the way the Packers have built this thing over the last two, three years is I even wrote in the story. It's more of a menu than it is a depth chart. Because as Marcos Valdez-Scantling said, and a lot of these guys have talked about this offseason, nobody does basically the same thing as another guy. You're not mixing your personnel for the sake of getting different guys on the field. You're mixing your personnel depending on what kind of look you want to give the defense. Now, that extends to the tight end rooms with Robert Tunyon, with with Mercedes Lewis. It extends to the backfield with three very different running backs, uh, different body types at that position. But most importantly, I think it's receiver because... You have the downfield threat of Marquez Valdez-Scantling, a guy that has developed more as a route runner and an underneath receiver. You have the goon, Alan Lazard, <laughs> a guy that does the nitty-gritty stuff but also can also burn you for 100 yards, too, if he needs to. You know, Randall Cobb, I think, is going to be a really intriguing fit. He gives them the slot receiver. The Packers really have lacked since he left the first time. And then Amari Rodgers, certainly the, the rookie third-round pick. It's going to be Devonte Adams. You're going to see a lot of Devontae Adams oh, yeah. this season if he's healthy. Oh, yeah. But the four guys on the field with Adams, or three if you end up seeing a lot of Aaron Jones, that's where the intrigue lies with this Packers offense in 2021.
0: Yeah, I really loved that line, that, uh, that term from Matt LaFleur when I had asked him after the Buffalo Bills, after the last preseason game, just about the receiver group in general, because this was actually before we knew who the sixth was going to be, yeah. but I asked him about You know, knowing, essentially going into training camp, barring injury, we knew who the top five receivers were going to be that would make this roster and what he thought of the group. And he kind of went through them one by one, and he used that term goon for Alan Lazard. Now, I took it as sort of a a comparison to, uh, to like the in hockey where you call a guy, you know, a goon because he kind of he stirs it up and he's kind of the enforcer and, you know, willing to do the dirty work and whatnot, as you said but it's also a, a term of endearment in some respects because that's not all that the guy brings to the table, right? I mean, it's, it's part of his role and Alan Lazarn is, is probably the best blocking receiver that the Packers have, but yet we've seen him make plenty of plays down the field, a couple big ones against the saints last year before he got injured, um, made the big uh, clinching touchdown against the Rams in the playoff game last January when he got behind the defense. So um I'm really intrigued, especially because Lazard had the injury last season where he missed such a big chunk of time coming off of a big game when he when he did get hurt. I'm really intrigued to see where things go with him, and then obviously with Valdez Scantling, MVS. I mean, I know I know there's skepticism amongst the fan base because they 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 remember the drop passes and some of the frustrations and all this and. And I'll say this. I think I've said it in Insider Inbox and in other places as well. You and I are at training camp practice every day. And this is the first time I can remember since Valdez Scantling has been here where it felt like on pretty much a daily basis he was a presence on the practice yep. field. There were in, in past summers, and I'm not saying he had bad training camps, no. but in past summers there would be – two, three, four days in a row where you kind of didn't really notice him, where he was, yeah, he's running his routes and taking his reps, but he's not really there. This summer it felt like he was there, like every day. There there was a presence there, and uh, and I, I think it certainly bodes well for, for what could be ahead for MVS. A
1: couple things I really like about MVS, one, that he never gets enough credit for. A guy's really durable. I mean, he doesn't miss much time. That's he's, true. He's been out there, and for a guy that that's that fast – Typically, if you run in the 4-3s, you can have some hamstring injury flare-ups. It's a guy that takes care of his body. He makes sure that he's accountable to his teammates and and really brings it every single day. But more importantly, everybody wants to talk about, okay, there was a drop there. there's a drop there. Can you live with them? All that stuff that, that has happened in the past. But what I want fans and, and people that I challenge them to remember is make sure you remember the Tampa Bay game. Or make sure you remember some of these other games too because – those are the games that the opponent is having to watch on film. Yep. Those are the examples where this is where this guy is going to beat you. This is what you have to take into account when 83 is on the field. And what makes him so dangerous, I feel, in this offense is when you have a possession you know, receiver like Alan Lazard, when you have a superstar like Devontae Adams, the number six ranked player amongst his peers of the National Football League right now, He's not just a guy that you can just put a safety over the top of, MVS that is, and just try to take him out of a game. You don't have as many resources to do that in the secondary. You have to be cognizant of where he is and you got to be really careful with how you handle that matchup. This is not an easy game. It is a difficult position to play. The important thing with MVS is for all the storms that have converged over him over time, He's been able to pull through all of it, and I thought he had one of his best performances in the Packers' uniform in the NFC title game. I go even go back to last year's training camp, Mike. The two guys I said, it was him and it was Rashawn Gary. I thought MVS had a better camp this year, but he really did stand out to me last year with what he was doing, giving you signs that, okay, he's going to bounce back from that 19th season. I remember telling people, if, if Gary and MVS don't perform, I don't know what the preseason or what the training camp is even good for because, yeah. to me, those guys really stood out, and I thought you saw him take a step last season. I think going into year four, you're going to see him take another.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you. It, it certainly seems to be setting up that way, and and you and I were noticing this before Aaron Rodgers made all of the nice compliments that he's said about MVS and what Matt LaFleur has said, and all of those comments are genuine. I'm just the point I'm trying to make is that you and I were noticing this on the practice field before his teammates and whatnot were talking about him. Like, this is definitely something that was noticed with him. And now it has to carry over from training camp, from the practice field to the games. We have to see that. Obviously, these guys didn't play in the preseason games for good reason. So. We need to see it carry over. But everything is everything is setting up. The stage is being set here for something that, that it could be a pretty big year for MVS.
1: And they are gonna have a really difficult defense to contest with with Dennis Allen's group there with the Saints here in a week and a half. No question. But I'm real Mike, the thing I'm most excited to see is that Monday afterwards when NFL GSIS puts up their play playing time stats, seeing how they allocate these reps, yeah. seeing which receivers play, how much they play. Who's in the backfield? Who's at tight end? There Again, Mike, there were years where it's like, okay, well, you can kind of jot down Jordy, Devontae, Randall. They're all going to play about 60, 70 snaps. It's not like that anymore.
0: And it's something that could change week to week. It's Absolutely. not like we're going to look at the snap counts for week one and go, okay, this is how they're going to do it all year. No, it's going to be a week to week thing in this offense. As you said, it's a, it's a menu of receivers with with all the different things that they bring to the table. So from a matchup standpoint, from a game plan standpoint, things could really change week to week with what Matt LaFleur, Nathaniel Hackett, and these offensive coaches want to do. Um some sponsor business here, West Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7, 365. And at Cousin Subs, we have something for everyone, like our Wisconsin cheese curds, mac and cheese, golden fries, and creamy shakes, all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl. Cousin Subs, we believe in better. All right, uh, late this past week, Thursday evening, Uh, A long-awaited Packers Hall of Fame induction ceremony, delayed by the pandemic and whatnot, rescheduled multiple times, all that. Packers Hall of Fame induction for Charles Woodson and Al Harris. And what I I wrote about on our Packers website, both of those guys talked about it, that uh, it's almost too fitting that these two star cornerbacks go into the Packers Hall of Fame together because uh, um, they really were... They only played together in games on the field, essentially for four years, 2006 through 2009. But that was a special pair that the Packers had on the field together, and it was neat to see them uh, get this honor together.
1: Great job by you covering that. I appreciate you giving me off on Thursday, you know, <laughs> afternoon and evening, be able to get home a little a bit earlier to my family. But here's the thing I love, and no one talks about this enough. The mid two thousands things were kind of in shambles there with the Packers' cornerback contingent. There was was some misdraft picks. There was some, you know, Mike McKenzie, you know, basically demanding a trade. Yeah, the
0: contract situation. Uh, All the
1: issues they had there. Yep. Al Harris was the constant. They made that trade in what two thousand three. Two thousand three. He comes in from Philadelphia, which, by the way. In 2021, I never see the Eagles making that trade anymore. That was more like they were so loaded at cornerback. Yeah. But with how many cornerbacks you need now in today's NFL, who knows if that deal ever gets done. Right. But what I loved about it is he was the constant for six, seven years in that secondary. And then in 2006, they bring in Charles Woodson, two guys from very different paths, different walks of life, but how they came together. And as Woodson kind of talked about the work that they were willing to put in the grind that they were willing to chase that's what kind of binded them. And for them, and Woodson said it from his first conference call when the announcement was made, he wanted to go in with Al Harris. It took a little bit longer than I think everybody expected. Yeah. But he gets that honor. You can tell how much, this is a guy that just went into Canton like earlier this month, you or last month now. You can tell though how much this honor means to him too and in the, the path that he has traveled. It was a cool night and I'm glad that obviously he was able to enjoy it with a close friend of his.
0: Yeah, it was really interesting hearing Woodson kind of tell the story of how they would they would go to practice and Al and Charles would kind of look at each other and go, okay, are we going to work today? All right, yeah, it's time to work. And what they meant by that is – they were just going to take all the reps at cornerback with the number one defense being out there, and they weren't going to let the younger guys like rotate in. They were just going to take them all. Maybe on a hot day, he said, they would take a playoff. Go like in there, Tremont. There. Have some fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they let Tremont Williams or Jarrett Bush or one of, you know, one of these younger guys slip in there once in a while. But that was, you know, and those were the kinds of things that we didn't necessarily see because during regular season practice, as reporters, we don't get to watch the 11 on 11, so you hear these you hear these stories after the fact about how during that 11 on 11 work in the regular season those guys really did go to work and al harris wanted to be a pro bowler every single year and he did get a couple of pro bowl honors and charles woodson talked about how it's it's so cliche we hear it so often about players saying you know the competition this and that that they push each other to be better and i'm not i'm not dismissing it but we do hear it so often. The thing about Charles and Al is it was very, very real. They really did. They really did push each other because they were both trying to be the best in the game at the same position, and they were on the same team. Yeah. You know, it, and they got they got to practice together, play together on a daily, on a weekly basis. And that's a that's a really that's a really interesting set of four years. And I also look back as well that 2006 to 2009 well end with Al obviously going you know going back to, to 2003 and then Charles staying with Green Bay through 2012 those guys played through and came back from a lot of injuries their their, their toughness it's it's no surprise that uh, head athletic trainer Brian Engel affectionately known as flea is the guy that Charles Woodson chose to present him for Hall of Fame induction because Woodson was in the training room a lot he was dedicated to getting out there as, absolutely as often as he could. And when you look at the track record of these two players, and Flea called them, pound for pound, two of the toughest guys he's ever come across in the National Football League. And, and Flea's been here for 25 years in the Packers wow. training room. The, their dedication to being out there for their teammates, they did not, un, until Al Harris had the knee injury in 2009, the ACL, and until Charles Woodson had the broken collarbone in 2012, which was the second time he had broken a collarbone after doing so, obviously, in Super Bowl 45, Until those major injuries, those guys, you could count on one hand the number of games that they missed yeah. as members of the Packers. Their, their their dedication to their craft was exceptional.
1: I remember in 2008, too, uh, I was reading, I believe it was either Pete Doherty wrote it or Rob Domovskis when I was working at the Press Gazette when the report came out that Al Harris had the ruptured spleen. And I remember thinking to myself, that sounds like the worst injury you could ever possibly have. Yeah. And the way that these guys persevered through this, I mean, even Charles Woodson, I mean, the guy breaks his collarbone in the Super Bowl. And I'm sure there was a lot of adrenaline, no question about that, especially even when he wasn't playing with, you know, them being that close to a Super Bowl title. I sometimes look at these guys and I go, you know, as someone that's never broken a bone, has never torn an ACL, like how do you get yourself up? Yeah. You know, not just the fact that you get an injury, you rehab it, but then want to come back after that. They're just – they're cut from a different cloth. They're different types of dudes. And, I, you know, I'll say it for the last time. I've been saying this all offseason about Woodson, but the amount of professionalism that he showed throughout his career. This is a guy that if you're not going to practice, if you're going to be hurt all week and rehabbing all week – do you know how much film study you have to do how much <laughs> preparation has to go in when yeah. you're not actually out there getting the physical reps you know to you know Wednesday through Friday Charles Woodson was always always prepared he's in, the only in, guy the he's the
0: only guy I've ever seen who could who could miss as much practice as he missed in order to try to keep his body healthy and then and go play at a pro bowl An level on level. Sundays every single week. It was uh, it, it was remarkable what he did. And up
1: until what, 2009? I mean, the guy was on an island a lot of times too. I mean, it's it, it's about as obvious as it gets in the National yeah. Football League. Yeah. If you're not up to par playing one-on-one against some of these guys and Woodson did it better than anyone.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that segues to one other topic I want to get to here before we sign off, because uh, I answered a question in Insider Inbox. There was a, a fan writing in, and I apologize, I don't remember his or her name at the moment, but just wondering you know what? What's the status of the Packers secondary right now? Kind of asking some questions about it, and and I actually, you know, and partly Charles and Al going into the Hall of Fame. You know, this is this is what triggered my memory. But in looking at the 2021 Packers, if you look at the top six defensive backs on this roster, and I'm talking about the four at corner Alexander, King, Stokes, and Sullivan, and then your two starting safeties, Amos and Savage, I honestly think. And you can you can correct me if you have a different perspective on this, but I think this is this is as strong a top six group in the secondary as the Packers have had since for for my money, going back to two thousand and nine, which is when the top four corners were Woodson, Harris, Tremont Williams, Jarrett Bush, and your starting safeties were Nick Collins and Atari Bigby. It's I, I couldn't find a top six I couldn't find a top six that, to me, compared going into a season with the top six that the Packers have here in 2021.
1: 14's close. Just yeah. because you yeah. had Casey Hayward and Devon House kind of struggling, they could only get one of those guys on the field with Tremont playing in the slot. But the
0: safety position just wasn't as strong in Fort in 14.
1: Yeah, I mean, HaHa came on late throughout the season. You had Micah there, but yeah, no, no question about it. Yeah. I guess
0: I was thinking more of Micah as, as a corner, corner. not, not as much as he was playing base and then he was going back in the sub packages, but
1: but he was at the emphasis of that position. Ha ha was a rookie to your actual point though. It is an incredibly deep six and uh, the amount of resources too put into that position as well. Right. I mean, you have a first round pick in Darnell Savage, two first round picks in Jair Alexander, Eric Stokes, uh, Kevin King was as close as you can get to being a first-round pick at number 33, and then Adrian Amos being you know paid and rewarded the way he was in 2019, it's a good group. Uh, the the other guy to keep an eye on is going to be Henry Black at this point in time. Looks yep. like he'll be that dime guy uh, if if Amos moves into the you know into the box. But my eyes are on Eric Stokes this season, Mike, and he's going to have to be ready because Jair Alexander. Epitome of professionalism. Kevin King, when he's healthy, he he can get the job done outside. But we know how this goes with the cornerback position. At any given time, you might have to make an adjustment, and Stokes has to be ready for it. And that's why Rodgers tested him the way he did. That's the reason why Devontae Adams tested him the way he did. This is going to be an excellent opportunity for him to grow here these first few weeks, but at any given moment, that young man needs to be ready to contribute.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see with Joe Barry's defense – because there's there's certainly plenty of of dime defense with six defensive backs that's played in the NFL these days and when you have Henry Black, Vernon Scott as as your reserve safeties and as we talk about with um, these four, top four cornerbacks the Packers have. It'll be interesting to see when Joe Barry calls the dime is it going to be three corners, three safeties, or is it going to be four corners, two safeties? And maybe, they, maybe they'll maybe they do that interchangeably depending on certain matchups with with the opponent and whatnot. So the way the game is played these days, you see six defensive backs on the field quite a bit, and not just on third down. It actually happens uh, um, on, on some other downs as well. That's something to watch here from a personnel standpoint as the Packers move Move into 2021.
1: And that's why Amos was so important, you know, especially last year, him having to kind of pick up that hybrid linebacker role when Raven Green got hurt. He's a guy that is a really good cover safety, but also is, is can, you know, take on a running back in the, you know, in the trenches if he needs to, too. Uh, a really underrated player. I know the team realizes his value, but I think widely throughout the National Football League, understanding that, yes, this was a former fifth round pick, but Adrian Amos is one of the best at his position. He's going to be such an important linchpin as well for this defense. And honestly, Mike, I'm excited to see it all come into you know, fruition this season. They have the pieces. They feel like they have the coordinator. Can the Packers really make that push to be in a dominant unit?
0: Yeah, well, we shall see. And as we uh, return to the studio next week, we'll start previewing uh, week one against the New Orleans Saints. With that, we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team. We've got it all for you on Packers.com. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. We will see you next time.